we talk a lot about communication at Mighty Parenting. Our experts, myself, the communications, email series that we share with you. And one of the keys to communicating well with our teens is to not be stressed. Because when we're stressed, we knee jerk, we jump in, we say things that we don't mean to say. And as I'm talking to parents, you guys are telling me that you don't have time for stress relief. So I've created a complimentary lesson for you that requires no time. Yes, you will have to listen to the audio, so it's going to take you a few minutes to do that. But the strategies I share with you don't require you to spend any more time on them. So pop over to sandyfowler.com forward slash no time and learn how you can start relieving your stress and feeling better today. Welcome to Mighty Parenting, the podcast with real, raw, and relevant talk about raising teens and parenting young adults. Welcome to Mighty Parenting, a community where we help you raise teens and parent 20-somethings so they can become happy, successful, and emotionally healthy adults. I'm Sandy Fowler, stress relief coach, emotional wellness speaker, and host of the Mighty Parenting podcast. Quick reminder, pop over to mightyparenting.com to get your free email series on how to talk to your teen. We're finding that small changes can have a big impact, and that's all we're talking about in there are some small changes you can make. We've heard the song, right? The sound of silence. We've heard people talk about the joy of laughter. And maybe this is something that you think about or even dream about, especially in the moments when what you're hearing at home is the sound of arguing. Maybe the kids are arguing amongst themselves. The kids are arguing with you or your partner. Uh, Doesn't matter. Whoever's doing it, no one really likes to listen to it. And it's not fun. And you can start to feel like maybe your family's dysfunctional, but is that true? Is your family having a problem? Are they dysfunctional? Is arguing even bad? Well, today we're going to get some help in understanding arguing and family relationships from Linda Cormier. Linda is a personal development speaker and coach and a leadership guide for youth, as well as an entrepreneur. Linda, welcome to Mighty Parenting. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. So Linda, let's start by kind of, let's break down some of the guilt that we might be feeling from the belief that many of us have that arguing is always bad, that a good family is this calm, peaceful, sort of loving, huggy family. I I just can't believe that that's actually true. And I'd love to get your expert, expert opinion around that. Well, the first thing that comes to mind is, you know, any breakdown in relationship comes from unrealized expectations. And I think as moms, we may have this expectation of harmony and bliss and, you know, raising our children. I know I had the intention of raising my two daughters, that they would always be able to come to me and talk to me. So we have these grand expectations. And the truth is that there's just no way we can live into a perfection or we can never live into a perfect scenario. So I have been somebody my whole life who like would avoid conflict at all cost. And the day that I realized that arguing was okay, um, I I wish it was much longer ago, (laughs) but it was um, my daughter. I can remember vividly. My daughter was uh, about 15 or 16. We were sitting in the car and we were having a discussion, an argument. I honestly don't even remember what it was about. And as I've learned so much from my own children, she said something like, 
you know, living in Disneyland isn't really normal. It's okay if we have an argument because it's always what we learn on the other side of the argument that makes such a difference. And I was like, you know, we had just come back from a leadership development program that I was teaching. Now I'm getting clarity on what the, what the argument was about. And she was with me and, you know, I've wired very positively and optimistic. And so people would joke like, oh, you live in Disneyland. So that's where that came up. Like living in Disneyland isn't normal and it shouldn't even be what we try and and have in our life. And that was such a pivotal moment for me in recognizing like, okay, it's all right for us to have an argument, to have a difference of opinion because working through it brings us closer. We understand each other more, we gain more clarity. And so it's almost like um, there's this saying I use a lot or, or an idea that I use a lot that there's a pine cone in the forest that the only way it releases its seeds is when it gets burned. So we we're just devastated by the forest fires and yet new growth is only gonna come for at least for this particular pine cone, not that we want acres and acres and acres, you know, especially in California where I'm from, but that's what it reminded me of. Like it can be hard, it can be painful, but it can also be the wellspring for so much growth and understanding. Okay. I really appreciate that example that you gave with the pine cone and, and you kind of went, well, we don't want tons of devastation because that's exactly what I think we want to look at in our family. So yes, there are certain species that only release their seeds through fire. And similarly, you're saying, you know, with family, when we argue, we can grow and we can have new growth from that. And yet, no, we don't want total devastation. So I think that also goes back to our family. If all we're doing is arguing, or if when we're arguing, what's coming out the other side is somebody being emotionally devastated, that's not what we want. That's that's kind of what I just got from what you said is like, if if we can have an argument and we come out the other side, we learn about each other, we work together, we grow, that is, that's fine and even a good thing. However, if we're arguing and we're coming out the other side where people are, are harmed and, and devastated, that's not what we want. Would that exactly. be accurate? Yeah, exactly. And I think the other thing too, it's not that we argue, it's how we argue. And I think that that is, whether it's with our spouse or our, our own family members, our, you know, our parents and or, or our children, our stepchildren for those people, it's, it's not necessarily that we argue, it's how we do it. And so because we have been conditioned, I think, forever, for so many years, um, we are, are not conditioned in a way that makes being wrong okay. If you're wrong, you get a bad grade. If you're wrong, you get in trouble. If you're wrong. So being wrong for most people is not okay. And so our tendency when we argue is to defend our own opinion. And that can result in the person that you're arguing with feeling completely um, unseen, unheard, very hurt. And so I think that learning how to argue, the communication skill around being able to have a healthy argument 
is, is so critical. And I know, you know, people, when they go through marriage counseling, that's one of the main things that they start with learning. I have one of my best friends is a therapist. Um, and so it, one of the first things they learn is like how to argue, how to use the words, like, I understand how you feel. What I said is making you feel this way. It's just acknowledging what's happening in that space without being defensive. It is not like, it sounds simple, but of course it's not easy because emotions are involved. But I think for parents, obviously so much of it is retrospect. As you know, my my children are now 26 and 23. And I'm so grateful to say that we have really great relationships. Um, but yeah, it's it's being able to learn how to argue so that you're always intent on your desired outcome, which is not to compromise their self-esteem and not to compromise the relationship. What you were talking about with arguing is has a lot of similarity to what Jude Bijou had told us about communication, just general communication. And both of you used something we've heard of, which is, you know, using I words. And neither of you did that where you said, just use I words. What I heard you telling us is that we need to listen to this other person, that we actually need to understand and, and pay attention to what our words are doing to them and let them know that we need to listen and let them know we heard them, not just twist things around and put in I in place of you or whatever that we would do in there, but to actually do, do more than say the words, but actually be there. Totally. Actually. Oh, it's holding space for what they're feeling because, you know, their perception of what happened is their reality, whether we intended it or not. And, you know, I just had a very difficult conversation, ironically, with my uh, daughter in the last week or so. And she said, I don't know if she learned this from her communication classes or what, but she again taught, taught it to me. She's like, there's intention and there's impact. Your intention would never be to hurt me. I know that because you're my mom and you love me, but the impact is that it did hurt me. And it was very difficult because the last thing we want to do is hurt our own kids, but we have to own up to it. Even if they misunderstood, even if something got lost in translation, even if it's not our intention, we have to be able to hold space to say, God, that would really be painful. I am so sorry that that, that you feel that way, not defending. Well, I didn't mean that. And I didn't say that. That's a whole different conversation. I will share one of the things because specifically thinking about the people that are listening about raising teenagers and there's a concept. And I don't know if, if it's common, but I don't remember where I heard it or learned it, or if it was just from my brain, but I've taught pretty much everybody I've ever known in any of my leadership classes or, or to my own kids, words are like toothpaste. Once they come out, you can't put them back in. And it's kind of hard to clean toothpaste off the counter. It doesn't just like go away instantly. You got to put the work in. And so one of the things that I've always been very intent on is to be very connected to the desired outcome. And if your desired outcome is to have thriving, healthy, loving, harmonious relationships, that's what you'll have. What you focus on is what you create, but you also have to employ the strategies to make sure that that happens. And for me, it was raising 
my desired outcome was to have great relationship with my children and to make sure that they were confident, not arrogant, and that they would feel safe and not judged and be able to come to me with anything. That's always been like the North star goal. Yeah. And that's what I hear from parents oftentimes is at least a component of that, right? Everyone has nuances and parents want, tell me that they want their kids to feel they can come to them. And when I go out and talk about communication to other groups, that one of the reasons our kids don't come to us is they feel judged. Yeah. Or we are so busy defending our position that we aren't hearing what they have to say and hearing them. And when you were talking about that idea, you've mentioned two things that I think go together really well. One is that our human nature is to, or, or we've been conditioned as humans to defend our position. And then the reality versus intention. We did not intend to hurt them. So instead of, but in, in that moment, instead of stepping into that space and going, that was not my intention. And yet I see that's what I did. You said owning it, taking responsibility for it. I think that's a place that, that we as parents can model a, a change in communication is to say, I, I do, did not intend to hurt you. And I see that I did that. I'm so sorry. And then one more piece, and I don't know if this, how this comes into your work. It's just something I've been thinking about a lot for quite a while. And that is the, the concept of apologizing in that we have this tendency again to just throw the words out there or make our kids throw the words out there when a real apology is words and doing what we can to make it right. A hundred percent. More toward that idea of, of justice and reparation, right? I did something that caused harm, intentional or not. I did it and then looking for a way to make it right or even asking, saying, I I caused you pain and harm here without intending to, I did that. How can I help make this better? A hundred percent. I literally just had this conversation as painful as it was for both of us in the, in the discussion that we were having and um, what unfolded. And I, I recognized where I missed the boat and it was, I said, I don't want you to think that your pain is in vain. I don't want you to think it was for nothing. One, I've learned something from this. I'm so, so sorry. And now I need to know what can I do to make it up to you? I have always felt that I wanted my children to respect me, which they do, but I wanted to, I wanted to feel like I earned that respect because even in leadership, like in a, in a company, so much of what I teach in team building parallels and families, it's like, okay, so you have this boss. So automatically you should respect your boss or you should respect your elders. We, that's kind of a common theme and, and your coach, both my kids have been really involved in athletics. So they, an automatic respect because they're your coach, because they're your mom, because they're your boss, whatever it is, but isn't it better if over the course of time, you also earn that respect. And so that's always been on the something, at least from a parenting perspective, that I wanted them to respect me, but I wanted to earn that respect through my example. Mm -hmm. All right. So you mentioned some strategies. Could you elaborate on that and, and give us some help here? <laughs> sure. I would say the first thing is we can all feel when we're getting upset, right? We have that mind body connection, our emotions, 
we can feel it. Some people feel it in their stomach. Some people, your heart starts racing. You can hear when your voice starts raising, like you can feel the emotion of it. And so that emotion is sending you a message. It's, it's telling you, you, you are either feeling in fear, you're feeling in peril, you're feeling whatever it is that you're feeling, but it's a lot. And we all know that when we're highly emotional, we're usually less able to be rational, we're less calm. So the first step is just to notice what you're noticing, like notice the fact that you're getting heated, that you're interrupting. If, if somebody's in the middle of a sentence and you're interrupting them, usually that is connected to a higher level of intensity. Intensity. So the first strategy is just recognizing, I feel really intense. I, I'm recognizing that and breathe. Breath is the difference between fear and exhilaration. So if you're on a roller coaster and you're a little bit nervous and you're like laughing and breathing deeply, it can move from fear to exhilaration. So for me, the first step is recognizing that the emotions are getting elevated, really taking a deep breath, and then you can connect to your breath. For me, it's always, what's my desired outcome? What do I want the end result of this to be? And, and we have choice. And so the first thing is being clear on what your vision is for your relationship and then making a choice that serves that end result. And again, I'm saying as if it's so easy to do and simple, it isn't, it requires effort and energy, but it's our desire, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the, the place where I kind of glitched is I can see depending on the personalities in the household, depending on your current relationship, depending on relationship patterns. If this is, if you have a child, a spouse, uh, maybe they're, maybe the whole family, I hope not. <laughs> but if yeah. you've had a lot of arguing happening, if you've had hurtful things going on, this seems like a very, a very easy first step to begin to initiate, but a very difficult one to follow through on, especially as you're getting more triggered by things that the other person or other people are saying back to you. Yes. And, and so I would say if somebody has kind of a pattern of it, if it's been, if it's not just an isolated instance where you can kind of calm yourself and breathe and, and gather your emotions, for me, the first step really is recognizing the possibility of repairing the relationships is 1 million percent there. I think sometimes what happened, if people are in a pattern of this, they just feel like it is what it is. This is my life. This is my relationship. These are the kids. This is how things are. And they are resigned to the fact that that is just the way they are, the way the relationship is. So the first thing for me is helping people understand, hey, it's possible to change it, even if it's been going on for five years. I, I can remember a time I was with my um, oldest daughter. She was coaching volleyball and the, the girls were like 13 years old and she was probably 22 at the time. And she invited me to go to a tournament with her in uh, Las Vegas. So we live in California and she's like, Hey, you want to come with me? It's a tournament. I mean, yeah, that sounds like great fun. Maybe we can go to a show or something, you know, spend some quality time together. So I'm in the stands or in the bleachers, whatever. And some mom says to me, Hey, which one is your daughter? And I said, well, it's, um, Morgan. 
She's like, oh, which one's Morgan? And I was like, well, she's the coach. And, and she started laughing. She's like, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize that. And, and she's like, so you're just here. And I said, yeah, I'm just here. You know, I've watched her play forever and now I'm here supporting her coaching. And she's like, and she just wants you to come here and be with her and have fun. And I'm like, yeah, she does. She just invited me to come with her. And this poor mom got tears in her eyes and was crying and said, I cannot even imagine my daughter wanting me to go anywhere with her right now. She doesn't want me even on the same floor where the team is. She, she, she knows I'm, I'm here and I have to be here, but her daughter was 13. She didn't have any older children to recognize what happens through the teen years and what can happen when they're in their 20s and how beautiful that shift can be. And that was one of the reasons, actually, that was one of the moments that had me realize, like, I really feel compelled to want to teach moms and dads if they feel like there is no hope, that the relationship feels so compromised whether it's because they're in their teen years or because there's been some specific incident or trauma or whatever, there's this feeling. And and then there was like four other moms sitting around just going, wait, how'd you do that? How did you end up with her wanting you to be here? And I just started like kind of laughing because none of them had the older children and the experience and someone who told them your daughter's can be your best friends in less than a decade if that's what you believe is possible. And if that's what you're focusing on, and if that's what you want to have happen, there's ways to do that. And part of those strategies are literally team building strategies that anyone that goes into an athletic organization or a company and is teaching team building that you would teach to a group, the same thing is, is, effective in a family dynamic. All right. So I have a big ask and you'll have to whittle it down as much as you can yeah. because I- <laughs> that in and of itself with me, it's a big ask, but I will, I, I promise I will. So you teach team building for teens. You teach yes. team building in business. Yes. So if we are sitting back and we're going, okay, I'm the parent of a teen or multiple teens and okay, I get this. All right. Let, let's do team building. What does that, what does that mean? I mean, we had the, we had a little bit of this discussion specifically about arguing, which I have more questions on. We'll see if we can get back to that, but what would some of these team building strategies be for us that we could take now as a tool and focus on, or even just one that we could do? I, I, I can tell you, um, I teach something called the 10 greatest gifts and they are the Um, foundation upon which all the team building is stems from. So I'm going to share with you the first three that come to my mind. Honor and value differences. The way that you parent one child and you think you've got it figured out because they're great and you try and the same thing with the other one. And it's like, wait, what? They're a different person. Everybody's different. So honor and value differences. I'm going to interrupt for just a second. I had actually a conversation just two days ago with one of my girls that was around that even they also are in their early 20s and now she's looking back or not even back but looking even now she's noticing how I'm parenting differently because they're both in our house during the pandemic right 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 seeing those differences and 
but starting to see it through the eyes of an adult and wondering, you know, why do you do that? Or noticing, oh my gosh, that was so smart how you did that differently for her and for me. And yet still sometimes the kid piece rears its head and she's like, well, that was different for me. Why doesn't she have to do what I did? Or something like that will still rear its head. And I can have that conversation now as an adult and say, well, we were talking about how you two need different things from me. Yeah. So I think again, even having that conversation saying when they go, oh, you, you treat them better. You love them more. I give you each what I think you need from me. Right. And it's like everybody, well, most people have seen that movie, The Blind Side with yeah. Sandra Bullock. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene where she walks out into the middle of the practice and she says one thing to who inevitably becomes her son, Michael, and says, pretend I'm your fan or pretend the quarterback is your family or something like that. And she walks back to the coach and she's like, you got to know your team. You got to know what drives them. It's the same thing. So, so honoring and valuing differences within your family is one. The other one is ask more than tell. Um, we think that as parents, as managers, or if we're in a leadership position, we know everything, or at least we're supposed to know everything. Our job is to tell people what to do and how to do it. But truly, from a team building perspective, a great coach, and that's what I think parents are, because my definition of that is someone who brings the best out of somebody. Isn't that what we want? As a parent, we want to bring the best out of our children. And great coaches ask great questions. And so getting in the habit of asking more than telling is where children and people discover how much they know. And if it's okay, I can give you a really short example. Please. My youngest daughter played soccer and she would inevitably leave her cleats in the middle of where this doorway was that went both kind of a hall to her room and the restroom. And they were always there. And I must've told her a million times, honey, can you move your shoes? Honey, can you move your shoes? Honey, can you move your shoes? We've all been there. Right. And then one day I was like, oh my gosh, what do you teach? And I said, oh, Shelb. What do you think is going to happen if you get up in the middle of the night? You know, you get up in the middle of the night to go to the restroom sometimes. And she's like, yes, almost every night, mommy. And I was like, yeah, what do you think could happen if we leave these shoes here? She says, well, I could trip on them. I said, yeah. And then what? What what would happen if you tripped? It's like, well, and she's giggling. Maybe I could hit, maybe I would hit my head on the counter. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that would not be good if you got a concussion. Cause then you wouldn't be able to. And she finished the sentence. I don't want to trip. I want to play tomorrow. I said, well, what should we do? She said, I think I should move my shoes. I asked her to discover what she already knew instead of what we, no one likes to be told what to do. We, we, no one does. And that's a whole nother conversation. But if we can allow people in our family to discover for themselves what they're capable of, what we want them to know, only through asking questions, do we know how much they know? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. That's how we discover what they know in the, in the other, maybe not the other piece of it. The continuation of that for me is we do things when we're intrinsically motivated. We might do something because someone asked us to, we might do it here or there. It's the intrinsic motivation that creates a habit or gets us to take a big leap. 
either way. And we that, have our own ideas. Yes. Yes. We, that, that, that's, you know, right along what you're saying. It's when we're intrinsically motivated, it's like we would much rather implement our own idea than someone else's. Exactly. Okay. So what is the third of the 10 greatest gifts that we want to mention today? I know this is going to sound, I don't know, maybe trivial, but it's create moments of magic. One of the things that bonds a team is memories that you can reflect back on. And so unexpected moments of surprise, it's one of the things I teach that's, I think, the most undertaught in team building is even when it's hard, try and create a moment of magic, an unexpected surprise. I hated traveling and leaving my children. And so I would create little treasure hunts, not spending a lot of money, but I would leave them a treasure hunt so that when I was gone, they would have that and they would reflect back on it. You know, um, having an upside down day, children hear the word no, I don't even know how many thousands of times more than they hear the word yes by the time they're five years old. So have an upside down day. Have pancakes for dinner just because when they're, when they're, especially when they're younger. I mean, I know you're, we're talking mostly to teens and. I I would actually disagree with you there, Linda. I, even as teens, those kinds of things, just something, like you said, it's upside down. So it's different for your family. Yeah. It still has an impact. You may not get the excited squeals that you get from a little kid. Right. Right. But we've done ice cream for dinner. And then if they're still, you know, we'll have a bowl of ice cream, then people can have real food if they want. But you know, even as teens, they like that. They just aren't going to jump up and down with, you know, unadulterated joy because you said they get ice cream for dinner. Right. And it's just the unexpected of from the mom or the dad. It's the unexpected levity that is maybe not usually associated from a parenting perspective or a hectic household or a stressful household. And I, trust me, I know because I've been in that position, juggling multiple businesses, raising kids. And it's like, are you kidding? You're telling me to have a moment of magic and surprise. It's like, well, yeah, I am because it doesn't have, it doesn't have to take a lot of time. And when those are sprinkled throughout, because they're specifically team building, it's long-term desired outcome. And so those things can help create a cohesive team environment, a a family um, that you can reflect back on and laugh at the time that, you know, whatever that unexpected thing is that feels comfortable. I'm hesitant to even throw out an idea like, you know, when they come home being in some costume or, you know, something just so goofy and so unexpected, but the surprise things don't have to be expensive. I've mailed from my house to my house gift cards to my children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you can do things too. Like just instead of having dinner and serving it on the table, it's a nice day, pack up a picnic and go. It, it doesn't, what I'm hearing you say is this doesn't even have to be something that's like never happened before. It was just a nice surprise. It's the same idea of family traditions. This is one of the things that I've promoted for years is have family traditions. They don't have to be big. One of ours is on people's birthdays. They get to choose what they want for dinner and what they want for dessert. And we set the table with China 
and get everybody together. I mean, and everybody, I just mean the four of us. It's a, it's yeah. a miniature family day. It's not even extended family. And those aren't unexpected, but they create the memories. Cause I, what I caught too, that you said is these are memories to reflect back on. And those kinds of traditions, what I find in our family and other people I talk to is, so now when we're having somebody's birthday, we start reflecting back and telling stories about past years or whatever holidays you celebrate, Thanksgiving, oh. Easter, Christmas, 4th of July. The unholiday of 4th of July was one because that was the one holiday we didn't get together with the rest of the family. That was just the four of us. We went to a craft show at our local park. But every year when we do that, you would start telling the stories of years before. What I had not thought of before was your unexpected yeah. ideas. And, and I like that. Yeah. You know, I was I'm good with the traditions. Every year at camp, we had a, an annual camping trip. We would have one day where it, we had ice cream for dinner. Yeah. And that's what we planned on at camp. And it was funny because you're tent camping. You don't have refrigerators and freezers and you're trying to get everybody ice cream. And, you know, it's, so there are all these silly stories that go with it, but I really like your idea of unexpected ones. And just like you said, little treasure hunts and the treasure hunts can just be verbiage. You know, it could be yeah. leading them to a, a letter from you. We did another show on the power of writing letters to our kids. Well, it could be a treasure hunt that is clues that gets them to the full letter or whatever. I mean, yeah, I had, um, my most favorite memories when my daughter was in college, she played volleyball. She was in North Carolina and we're from, um, San Diego in California. And I flew out and didn't tell her I was coming on more than one occasion. But one of my favorites is she was turning 21. And I obviously recognized I was in a very privileged position just to decide to go and to do that. And this is much more of an elaborate kind of surprise, but I arranged it with her good friends and said, take her to this restaurant for her birthday. And I got there early and I met with the manager and I was literally behind the bar and it was her 21st birthday. And I walked up to the table and I was like, I understand it's someone's birthday here. Can I get anyone a drink? And literally like there's, there's, there's no price that can be paid because it was, it was the unexpectedness. And you know, when she's 21 now, she's old enough to realize, like, I can't believe you did this. And, you know, she was so excited. And she's like, I can't drink. I have a game tomorrow. <laughs> so <laughs> even though she was 21. But, um, you know, those are the kind of things, big or small, that I would teach someone in team building in a, in a, a company. If you want to have a culture that is connected, if you want to have a culture that is um joyous and where you can overcome obstacles, creating moments of magic and using the element of surprise is one of the most undertaught tools, I think, in team building. And I think it serves families well, too. Right. So we have to wrap up, but I feel like there's still this thread that I need to kind of tie off. And we both got excited talking about these. I really appreciate these three gifts that you shared with us. And I still feel my parents who are sitting there going, and my relationship with my child is strained. So my question to you, Linda, is do we just keep doing these things regardless of their reaction and response? Or do we take a different tack if 
we try some of these things and there isn't an apparent appreciation or, you know, there isn't a, a good response to it. You know, it's, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And so the answer is yes, you keep trying and yes, you keep trying different things, but remember that it's possible. And the, you know, one of the things that I teach all the time and in parenting, it's probably one of the most important is open your mouth and your heart at the same time, not to be fearful, to be vulnerable to your child, to say, we've, we've had such a strained relationship for such a long time. And it's really hard for me. And it's really hard on you. What can we do? What ideas do you have? You know, there's, there's just so many ways, but it is, none of it is easy. None of it is overnight. You know, just like there's a saying, there's no such thing as an overnight sensation. It's all the things that you do. It's all the things that you do. But I think the most important thing is when you open your mouth and your heart at the same time, you can't not allow the love to come out and recognize their perception, teens especially, their perception is their reality. And everything is a process, but what's on the other side, what's waiting as they go through their most difficult years is a relationship that is going to be rewarding for the next many, many, many chapters of life. And so a moment doesn't define the relationship a year, two years. It doesn't define the whole relationship. Remind them and you that tomorrow is not promised. And I lost my father very unexpectedly when I was young. That may be one of the reasons that there's a love for the life and moment when it is there. And when you have that gift of every day and help yourself remember and, and your children that every single day is a gift and it's the beginning of a new day every day. So I would say, yeah, if these don't work, there's toolboxes of things to try. And I would also like to tie in now one of the things you said right at the beginning of the show, which is expectations. Sometimes I think we're hurting when a relationship is strained. And so we try something because we want so much to reconnect. And when we don't get instantaneous connection, we give up or we feel more hurt. So I think yep. if we if we think more clearly in terms of, as you said, you know, what's my goal? My goal is long-term. This is a marathon. So I'm just going to keep doing these things regardless of their reaction and any positive reaction from them, anything I see that says that they appreciate that they like that they're doing this is a bonus because that's the other thing with our teens too, is they can appreciate it and it can mean something. And we may not even see that. So oh, I think, like you said, keep doing it, manage our own expectations. Remember we're the adult here. We're, we're looking for that long-term. Our kids can't see the long-term like that. All they know is what they're going through now, as you said, their reality. So I love that. And I appreciate all of this. Linda, where can we find you online? Um, probably the easiest place is my website. It's just lindacormier.com and people can send me emails through there. Also, I'm not big on social media, but if 
I'm going to be able to respond. It'll be Instagram probably over anything else. I have some help there. So those would be the two main places um, is either Instagram direct message or on my website. Both, both are just my name. Okay. Well, I appreciate you taking the time here. This, this viewpoint is so valuable and you gave us some great strategies that we can actually put into play right now. So thank you so much. You're welcome. It was such a pleasure to be with you and to get to know you. And Mighty Parents, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for being here. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with another parent. And remember, if you're here, if you're listening, you got this. And I will see you next week.